Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Samwise Yabuinski podcast. This is very exciting. Sam, how are you? I'm very well, Chris. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This is this is great. We, we were just talking earlier, and this is actually the pod is in the world. People right. are hearing it, which Yay. is great, and it's been really fun. Exciting. We have with us Leslie Talmadge, who is absolutely wonderful and actually is one of the very first people that I met at First Church because Leslie was on my search committee. And so I have this really vivid memory of opening up my computer back in the day when Zoom seemed super exotic way before the pandemic and seeing this cluster of wonderful people all squeezed into the screen (laughs) and starting a conversation there. And then, you know, fast forwarding many, many, many hundreds and hundreds of hours later and sitting in a in a restaurant and talking about the Bay Area and connecting on so many things. So anyway, welcome. Welcome, Leslie. So great, great to have you here. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Sam. Hi, Chris. It's um, it's so funny, Chris, because I think I liked you immediately since we had that Bay Area connection. You were from Berkeley. Your wife grew up in Marin County. I grew up in San Francisco. So I was predisposed to like you from the get-go. Oh, yeah. No, it was, <laughs> it was, it's such a special, and I think this search committee, it's, such a special connection that you have because you guys worked for what was it like a year two years meeting every week or something yeah crazy and Mm. and it really it's funny I was talking about this with Rick the other day Rick Hawkins who was on the committee as well um it was really a high point of any of my volunteer opportunities or experiences it was so it felt like it was such meaningful work and we grew so close to one another and we still get together. And also it doesn't hurt that we feel like we got the best minister in the world. And we're so thrilled to have you with us, Chris. Oh, so grateful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it's a really, it's a really amazing kind of connection and incredible that people, you know, cause most of our volunteer jobs, you're, you're coming together, even the board really once, once a month, and then people have another kind of project thing outside of it, but this is just, huge just a huge huge super consequential has Mm. just an incredible anyway so i'm i'm super glad and i'm always pay attention to how many of our search committee people stay at the church too that's always a good (laughs) sign so (laughs) anyway so great to have you here and one of the things that we've been talking about with folks is just kind of getting to know a little bit of the story of how you came to first church in the first place, how you found Unitarian Universalism, like where did it start? So Brian and I decided that we wanted to raise um, our son Asher in a, in a church. Um, It's not an experience I had had growing up. I had had um, a scattering of different experiences. My mom dragged me to sweat lodges on Mount Tam. We went to the Quaker meeting house. We went to Glide Memorial church. Oh, so good. Um, Yeah. Like 
Um, so pretty diverse, but not consistent um, experiences. And my mom was a teacher of Tai Chi Chuan and she taught meditation. And in fact, she was this tall, blonde, Caucasian woman teaching Tai Chi in Chinatown at the China, Chinese hmm. YMCA downtown wow. for um, for decades and, and, you know, did yoga long before anyone was doing any of that. So, um, yeah, so I um, was more committed to sort of giving Asher a consistent experience and um, really looking for a community for me. I had recently moved essentially from the West Coast to Cambridge via New York City and Brunswick, Maine. Um, yeah, so I, Brian and I met and pretty quickly fell in love and got married and got pregnant, actually got pregnant and then got married. And we were in Cambridge and we were church shopping and we went for maybe a year and a half to the UU church in Cambridge. And mm really loved the minister there, but I don't think we ever met a single soul at the church. Like, wow. yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, and so there was a real, I mean, it was a very, um, you know, lots of students attend. And so yeah. it seemed like you saw different faces each week, which was exciting, but not really what we were looking for. And I was at, I don't know, one of the playgrounds, I think the Cambridge common playground when Asher was maybe, two years old, three years old. And, and someone said, well, you know, the best church is the best church for families is the Unitarian Universalist church in Belmont. And yeah. And it proved to be so, um, <laughs> they, uh, they, this person was a parent of a young child and said they have the most amazing musical program. So if you're looking for a church for young kids, that's the church to go to. So I had heard about Alpha, her reputation preceded her, and um, and we finally checked out the church when Asher was maybe four or five years old. And wow. Yeah, and I think we um, we first went to one of the musicals, which was um, Brigadoon, maybe or one of the one of those, and um, and we were pretty convinced from that moment that this would be a good place for us. We just loved the. Um, I think what I really loved is, you know, all the supportive adult audience members supporting the kids in the cast and, you know, whether they were great or not so great didn't matter, but there was just this love in the audience for these young kids. And yeah. um, it was so impressive. So Asher actually tried, or I think Alpha invited us. I mean, Alpha was great. You know, she, we'd been at church for about one minute and she said, I understand you have a five-year-old. And at the time, <laughs> Asher was a girl and mm. Asher happens to have a great or a pretty lovely singing voice. And oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Alpha invited Asher to try out for the role of Gradle in The Sound of Music. And I think there were wow. three, three kids invited for that role. And Asher was at the time, had just turned six, I think. And um, Asher sang a little tentatively and Alpha said, no, louder and enunciate. And, um, <laughs> and a couple of mothers looked at me and thought, oh my God, your poor child. And they came up to me after and said, I hope you weren't traumatized by that. Well, oh, no. Asher totally rose to the occasion, belted out a song nice. and got the part. And actually I had to convince him to try out for it. Um, but at the end of the audition, he said, Mama, being a nun would have been good, but being Gradle would be great. 
And yeah. um, so he got the role of Gradle. And uh, and we really fell in love with the community at church. We just felt so welcomed. And I had really been searching um, for a home because, frankly, I had only lived in Cambridge. Um, so let's see. I moved to Cambridge when Asher was, you know, I was six months pregnant with Asher. So I was really new to the area. And um so we joined and became members right away. So, um, but I'd only been here for six years and I had been a journalist and I had quit my job. I was working at the Eagle Tribune. And so I was feeling, you know, really kind of, and I was trying to freelance, but I was feeling um, a real loss of identity and a loss of community. I had grown up and spent 40 years in San Francisco, like born and raised. So um, yeah, and the church has just been, such a great place for the three of us, really, all these years. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. I, I love that it started with the musical, too. Mm. I remember uh-huh. from very early on in my conversations with you all, and certainly in all the stuff that you sent, hearing people talk about the musicals and, and hearing especially people, you know, talk about the the little Greek chorus of the littlest kids coming out and singing and, and echoing the songs that you just heard. And the, f- the first one I got to see Newsies uh, before the pandemic, it was just amazing. It was so fun. And I did a lot of plays and musicals back in the day. And it just was the most beautiful thing to see it all kind of come together and see, I think that one, Newsies, we had something like 80, 85 kids or something crazy. It was amazing. I'm really excited to get back to it. Um, Looks like in January, which Mm. is so cool. And and you know what else was so cool is that, um, you know, the adults really pitched in and there were a couple really talented set designers and costume folks. And, you know, I just painted some scenery on occasion, but people were just, they threw their heart and soul into it. And so it was such, yeah, just a beautiful thing for, for the whole community. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, then you guys left and came back. <sighs> we did. We, my, um, Brian and I met Well, we had gone to dancing school together in the seventh grade, I think. And I didn't know. <laughs> Brian, Brian never asked me to dance, however, but. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> but seventh that grade. Old a grudge. Exactly. I've gotten over that. But, and he also, I tease him. He, um, his first girlfriend was my best friend and still one of my best friends from fourth grade, Ruth Berkowitz. And um, so Brian and I um, both went to school in San Francisco. I was born in San Francisco. He was born in New York, but we both grew up in, in San Francisco, but we met on a blind date in Maine and we, you know, sort of from the get-go bonded over the Bay Area and these mutual mm. friends that we had in common and these common experiences. And, you know, we could sort of say Lake Tahoe and both like, right, right. you know, breathe in wonderment or whatever. And, um, mm. you know, we had similar favorite hikes and Stinson Beach. And so mm. we had this shared vocabulary. So we, I think when Asher, at the end of um, his fourth grade year, we thought, you know, actually we were... I really wanted to move to France and, and spend a year. Nice. Yeah. And I still want to move to France, but, and, and have a sabbatical. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was, um, there were some terrorist attacks and Brian and I, um, it was in the fall and Brian and I had Thanksgiving with Asher up in 
Portland, Maine, and Brian said, you know, Leslie, what if we were to spend a sabbatical year and go to California? And we've always talked about going back to the Bay Area. We have those roots. What would it be like to spend a year there and check it out? And we um, we had planned on renting our condo. We had a great condo in Porter Square. And mm. Asher, who was sort of wise at eight or so or nine, maybe said, you know, you guys are never going to want to come back. You should just <laughs> sell the house. So we did. We sold the condo. And we moved to California and we lived in this tiny apartment. Um, but it had the most magnificent view of the um the Bay, but also the Bay Bridge. Mm. We were in Marin County in Mill Valley on the water side. And, wow. um, and it was really great, but we, um, it's funny that the universe kind of seemed to be telling us that it wasn't meant to be for us. Um, I was working full time. I signed a contract. If you can believe it, working full time for free, like I signed a two year contract. They have so many therapists in mm. California that they can um, have people, you know, like volunteer to work for free for hours. And so that's what I was doing. And Brian wasn't making any headway. He had this business, this solar business that he had started on the East Coast, but we thought maybe he could make some inroads in California. Um, And we were looking for a house and we never really found a house. And we started to kind of think, wow, um, what if we don't find the same sort of community that we had really started to develop back in Cambridge? And a large part of that was, frankly, through the UU church. And we went to your old church, um, Chris, in Berkeley. And, you know, we thought, we'll check that out. And there was a, you know, some sort of accident on the way at home. And it took us, you know, what should have been 30 minutes at most, took us three hours. Yeah. And, um, and it's really hard to start over. You know, we had a fifth grade at that point and we thought, gosh, who are we going to go hiking with and who are we going to have, you know, family play dates with? And Mm. um, so we, after nine or 10 months decided to move back, which was pretty radical. Um, and then we tried to, uh, to get back into the, uh, housing market in Cambridge and it was pretty tough to do that. And, um, a friend from church said, well, why don't you check out Belmont? And honestly, it hadn't occurred to me, even though we'd been going (laughs) to the first church, it was like, whoa, that's the suburbs, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's the booty. It really, Um, I I love it. I feel like utterly embraced. I think we, we went from living in, you know, Berkeley, which is its own sort of planet, really, to yeah. just north of Portsmouth, which felt like the country in New in New Hampshire. And then mm. I'm so happy to be to be back here and in mm. in the suburbs, so close, so close to the city, but wow. like so decidedly not. Wow! And, and so, it, did it seem different once you guys came back, or did it feel comfortable and right? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, we were, we, you know, my gosh, we rented this tiny apartment in Cambridge. Um, and so that was kind of weird. We were in this tiny, tiny space. And, um, so it felt kind of like, wow, you know, we really gave up our lovely condo and now we don't have a house. And we had a really short time frame to get a place because we needed to enroll Asher in school so it was a little, um, it was a little hairy, but we ended up 
we were plan we had planned a trip, a big trip. And we had, I don't know, like once we decided to look for a place in Belmont, we had something like three weeks to find a place. And we found our house on Heard Road and liked it and put a bid on it and then took off on our trip. And it all worked out, but we had like, you know, and then we had all of, you know, two minutes to register Usher for school in Belmont. And that was that. So it worked out. And that was just a couple of years ago. Yeah. I'm so wow. bad at math. Usher was in sixth grade. So it was four years ago. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, it's been a, it's been an eventful couple of years since then. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sometimes hard. I remember in passing, this is the beginning of my third year here with I guess we're halfway almost. Wow. We're solidly halfway through the third year. It's just gone so yeah. quickly. Well, and and obviously part of that, a large part of that is that it's been, you know, this this pandemic, this very mm. this very odd sort of time. And in the pandemic, you and I have been working closely together because we've been part of this, the LGBTQ plus Alliance here in town. Um, and, and that's been really exciting. We just had that, the installation for the transgender day of remembrance, and we'll be working with the, working with the schools and doing other things. But so how, how has that sort of been for, for you and, and what, what are you sort of feeling about it right now? Mm. Well, I'm so grateful to you. I think I think this was initially kind of your idea to have some sort of. I mean, the the Belmont um, LGBTQ Alliance existed in a different form under Bar um, Belmont Against Racism, but I think we it was your idea perhaps to reach out and sort of reinvigorate the team and include some members of the church. So Fran Yuan has been involved in this for. 30 years or more, perhaps. Yeah. We now have, you know, a six member, pretty strong team, and we're looking to expand that. And it feels so timely and so important to me. On a personal note, my son Asher came out as transgender almost exactly a year ago, last mm-hmm. fall. Um, and as we know, you know, incidents of Hate are on the rise, and there have been so many really distressing events here in Belmont. The incident with um, Mr. Tapia, which was just earlier this year. I can't believe it seems like a long time ago. But, um, and so, frankly, it feels like a really good time to be, for so many reasons, to be working on an effort to make our community a more inclusive, welcoming place for all people of all genders and sexual orientations and colors and ethnicities and genders and classes. Um, so it feels like it's really important work. And I'm, I'm also 57, I'll be 58 this um, August, and I'm at that what Eric Erickson would describe as that regenerative stage where you're really looking to give back. And Mm. so I'm, you know, professionally, I'm a social worker and trying to help people to change their narratives and make improvements in their life. But it's also nice to, to kind of think about what can I do for the wider community as well as just my individual clients. Um, 
So it feels like really important work. And again, I'm so grateful to you, Chris, for all your great support and wonderful ideas. And I thought that Trans Day of Remembrance was really beautiful and, and really moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really, it's been a fun group of folks and, and huge, huge gratitude too to Fran Juan, who's just a superhero basically. So Fran, like you were saying, has been at this work for so long, for just decades, like way back when people were, you know, when it was a really, I mean, it's still an uphill battle and still lots to be done, but you know, she and, and Gladys Unger are sort of resident mm. superheroes have been at this for, for a very, 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 very long time. And, and to what you were saying also, you know, we've, for people who might not know, we had, um, was it at the high school? There was a swastika that was carved into a bathroom and people have, there's been a bunch of hateful graffiti put up and, and so a number of the LGBTQ plus students, both in the middle school and high school, you know, have expressed just feeling really worried and, and unsafe. And I feel like it's almost, I don't know if it's overly simplistic to say, but when I think about the climate that Fran started her advocacy and work in, you know, mm-hmm. back when it was a fight to even have a GSA in any of the schools. And back then it was called the Gay Straight Alliance. And now it's the Gender Sexuality Alliance, which is just a welcoming place for any LGBTQ plus uh, students in the schools. And that was an uphill battle in the beginning. And now this week, what tomorrow, um, parts of the alliance were going to go meet with the the GSA at the middle school. And there's like 42 kids in that group. You know, there's this, this huge swell of people just living their truth and and mm. knowing from the get-go um that they'll be and if if not that they'll be accepted and loved that it's important to be themselves like even if they're in the middle of a uh a family situ- situation where they're not sort of celebrated and honored for who they are they at least have these other circles so i th- i feel like it's just such an important moment to be able to mm. support this work in the in the town so it's been it's been really, it's a great group to be a part of. Yeah. And, and Chris, as you mentioned, like one in six Gen Z adults apparently identify as LGBTQ plus wow. according to the Washington Post. So, right. and likely that number is growing. And yeah. so you're right. I mean, this is, we're having a moment, I think. Um, so it's important to be responsive. Well, and it's fun to see how it's changing too. Like we had um, two of my, Two, two folks in my immediate family. So now I think my nibblings, nibbling is like my new favorite word. So they used to be my nieces and now they're my nibblings. They both came out in the last year as non-binary. Um, and and all of the kids, my children, the other early generation children, they just they were like, okay. They just now they know, okay, you're they them pronouns for this one. And she's now he, him pronouns and all of the youngest generation have just made the switch super quickly. And so I think there's a certain kind of plasticity and a certain kind of, they're like, okay, yeah, sure. This is, and they have, you know, the grandparents have had years and years of knowing folks in, in one gender or another. So it's just a different, even very supportive grandparents. It's just a different process to sort of relearn and unlearn. And anyway, but yeah, it is a it is a fascinating moment, um, and it's a fun place for the church because that ties into the other thing that we were talking about before and have touched on with lots of folks is the um, is the principles. And if you had a favorite principle, oh yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, so I look at the first principle of the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And mm. I just feel, I, I feel like um, it's interesting, you know, through some of my experiences growing up, I think I felt that I didn't always feel a sense of belonging or um, I just briefly, um, you know, grew up interestingly going to public schools through the third grade where I was one of only a couple white students. I was in a minority and um, was going to be bused to Hunter's Point, which was an hour long bus ride at the age of eight. And my parents, it was also one of San Francisco's roughest neighborhoods at the time, probably still is. Still is. Um, Yeah. 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 And so they decided to send me to this, um, you know, private all girls school really for San Francisco's kind of elite. Um, and it was really hard for me to break in it. You know, most of the, or many of the girls had been attending school there since the kindergarten and had right. really known each other and their families knew each other and their families, parents knew each other and their, you know, their kids, parents, moms, and grandmothers had attended Miss Burke school and, it was just like one really tough group to um, to break into. And mm. um, I think that experience, so entering as a, as a very shy, um, kind of tall, scrawny, skinny fourth grader, you know, I just felt really um, awkward and I, I wasn't the best um, athlete on the field to say the, to say the least. I mean, I, you know, had never played soccer and I went out and I kicked the girls in the shins, not intentionally, but because I had these long legs that I couldn't control. And um, anyway, so I think I had, you know, a little bit of an experience of, of feeling like I was less than to some extent and not to overplay this, but, um, but I really have made it a point in my own educational experiences to go out of my way to include those who were other new students and who maybe didn't feel they fit in so much. And um, so that idea, and, and also my mom took me to Quakerism, you know, or to Quaker to the Friends Center. And I think they believe that, you know, there's a divine spirit in each of us. And so I think, I think I sort of come to that from a couple different angles, both from having felt a little excluded, but also feeling like, wow, how beautiful is that? That we all, all sentient beings are, um, are beautiful and, and worthy and loving and lovable. Mm. Yeah. And especially, especially right now, I think, you know, cause a lot of us, particularly those of us with um, anxiety or depression or, you know, mental health issues of one kind or another, we, we often don't feel that inherent worth or dignity. And mm-hmm. so we, it's good to be reminded of it and to have people around us who reminded us of it and who, belong to a community that's partly devoted to reminding us of it, you know, mm-hmm. yes, I am worthy. Yes. I, I, I do have dignity, you know, um, that's something that I value about first church and that I value about just Unitarian Universalism is that it's in a way, a, a covenant community that's about reminding me and people like me and that, uh, yes, we do have dignity. I think that's a good thing. How have you, as somebody who's been supporting people 
and serving people through your practice during this time, how have you been sort of replenishing your well as as this has been such a difficult time? Oh, good question. Yeah, that's a great question. And and for a while, I would say I wasn't. <laughs> right. I, yeah. Um, and you're right. It's been a hard time for so many people for so many reasons. Um so I am really happy to report that I was on a swim team for years and I'm, I really love to swim and mm. I stopped swimming in the pandemic. I was swimming at the Harvard pool and they closed down to our master swim team and I've just started up again and, Yay. oh my gosh, it's just, it feels so good. And, um, I really, really love I can't say enough about how much I love to swim. I mainly love to swim in really frigid waters like mm. Maine or um, I used to swim in the Salmon River near our one-room log cabin that my grandparents owned um, near Mount Hood in Oregon. But anyway, wow. the pool is second best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I Yeah, I just, it, it's funny. I feel so alive and I feel strong. And yeah. Yeah. I, I think I haven't been feeling that strong. I think I've been feeling like beaten down and scared mm. and anxious. And so it just feels so good to be feeling vital and being in touch with your body and, yeah. and feeling connected to yourself in a really more primal kind of way um, has been really helpful. And, and I've been thinking about, like what brings me joy and you know it's it's one thing to um have a sense of purpose and a sense of satisfaction you know work and all those good things right and doing um volunteer work and all of that is so important but also joy and i'm i haven't quite gotten there but i've been thinking a little bit about what can i do that will bring me more joy so well you <laughs> Yeah, not to. I was about to mention this to the staff we met earlier today, but um, I just I just stumbled on this really fascinating little uh, technique where you know we drive. I drive a lot of my schedule, and and so it's easy for me to just schedule myself pretty pretty fully. Um, but what I just started doing, which I realized I could juggle my schedule around a little bit, so I have a little block of a bunch of hours on Friday. And I put it in my calendar and said, the well, right? Mm-hmm. And every week, mm-hmm. I'm going to do something different. So, you know, I, f- I fish. Uh, and so sometimes I'll pop up to New Hampshire and get into a little river and freeze and catch a couple of fish. But then also, you know, I'll go to the MFA for a couple hours. or I'll, So it's kind of mm. this fun little window of time where I get to noodle around and say, what is it? How how many different ways? I'm, I love a eclectic bunch of things, and so I can kind of in the back of my mind be playing with, ooh, well maybe this this week I'll I'll bake a turkey and I'll do you know anything that is going to feed me and and have it be something different. Every mm. week I looked up places I could go hiking and you know it's mm. while the kids are in school I can sneak out and do something really intentionally that's gonna that's gonna fill me up. So I'm I'm excited for that. Mm. Um, and having it just waiting there in the schedule, knowing that it's knowing that it's coming is yeah. super helpful. What a great idea! I love that. So, Leslie, um, you know, as you know, uh, one of the one of the sources of um, Unitarian Universalist uh, revelation or truth 
or wisdom um, is, uh, is, quote, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. I love the wording of that. And I love the emphasis in you on, on direct experience. And it seems that, that so many of us in, uh, in UU congregations, including at First Church, you know, that's, that, that's where we, that's where we go to find the sacred. We find it in nature. We find it in direct contact with the natural elements, with, with beauty and the, the experience of natural beauty. And, 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 and in some way I, I, I find it in swimming and it sounds like, like you do too. You use the word joy, but I wonder if, um, where, where do you find, where do you find the sacred? Is that, is that the same thing for you as joy or is there, does that have another meaning for you? I'm wondering where, where, where you find the sacred. Wow, what a beautiful question. Um, yeah, not in the swimming pool. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be nice if I found it there, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe swimming. Um, yeah, swimming in the Salmon River, in the shadow of Mount Hood, where you know my mother and grandmother swam as kids, and where Asher swam as a little kid, and. Mm. Um, but definitely, you know, sort of in nature. And I really have to say that I'm a creature of the West Coast and I just love the dramatic beauty of big mountains. And, um, you know, so it's it's lovely to go for walks in Rock Meadow. Um, but for me, I, I dearly miss the landscape of the West and certain certain places it's funny there's a poet and i'm going to forget his name who you probably know samuel um he's a he's an irish poet and he talks he's written a book about beauty on beauty do you know mm. that beautiful book and and he talks about um you know certain landscapes that mm-hmm. that just speak to you and are sort of like your friends and my mom used to have favorite trees in Marin County. So there was a linden mm. tree in Tiburon that was her favorite tree. And there was a magnolia tree that we sat under, she and I, um, during a rainstorm just shortly before she died. And and I just, I, I think of those trees that my mom loved. And I think of certain um, Mount Tam views that... I've shared with my family over the years, both my family of origin, mom and dad, but also with Asher mm. and, um, and, and hikes I've taken over the years in the Sierra Nevadas near Lake Tahoe. And um, I feel like, I feel like that's when I'm my best self. And so, you know, where I, where I don't worry about what other people think about me, where I feel so connected to something larger than myself, one, one of my best jobs that I've ever had was in college. I worked at Stanford Sierra Camp. So it was a family camp uh, at Fallen Leaf Lake, which is near South Lake Tahoe. And we, we pulled our um, mattresses out onto the dock. And I slept literally every night of the summer um, and fell asleep to the clanging of the canoes against the dock. And you know, looking at the stars at night. And then I would wake up and before I was the dining room hostess. So I got up earlier than everyone else. And I would get out of my toasty sleeping bag and the sun would be beating down on my sleeping bag. And so I'd be roasty toasty. <laughs> I would just slip into the the really cold fallen leaf lake waters and take wow. a quick little swim. And 
it was just the, you know, you just feel like you're so alive. And, mm. and um, I can remember a particular hike I took with one of my dear friends, Jackie Hiltz, and we got caught in a thunderstorm and it was a really big, hard hike up Mount Talak. I mean, it's funny, it's nine miles, but it's a hard nine miles. And we were kind of scared and we got caught under this huge storm. And anyway, you just feel so vital and so connected to nature and um, so alive. That's great. My wife is also from out there and she feels the same way about Mount Tam and so much of the geography is just so imprinted on her soul. We, we send her back out there at least once a year. We try to anyway. And, and she goes back to those same places and it's, it's a, it's a deep, deeply connected kind of place. I love it too. It's sort of my second home after, after here, but, um, Mm. but yeah, it's a beautiful spot. Samuel, what is your, your question was so beautiful and I'd love to hear the answer from both of you. And I've forgotten how you worded it, but it was perfect. (laughs) Well, Chris, where, where do you find the sacred? It sounds like you find it in a similar place. Yeah. I, I also, I really, I mean, this is sort of probably unsurprising. I really like church a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You chose the right career for that. I I love sacred space says right so Mm. so i get to be in the church a lot when it's empty and i'll often go sit under our beautiful window and you know i'll meditate and pray in our spaces and and there's something about churches full churches i love full churches i love when we've set up our candles for the vesper service and slowly people trickle in and if there's one person or 50 people or whatever um there's something i just really love about churches and organized sacred spaces. I went to um, the Grace Cathedral up in in San Francisco. I used to work downtown and on my lunch breaks, I would take the the trolley up the hill and go into this beautiful, sprawling, enormous church and walk the labyrinth or go pray in one of the little kind of alcove chapels on the sides and i just have loved them when my wife and i were in paris for our 10th anniversary we found all these beautiful tiny little churches so so i really do um love churches of all shapes and sizes and kinds and just holy spaces of sacred spaces of any of any kind of stripe um but then also a lot in the outside there's something really holy to me about being in the middle of rushing water so i spend a lot of time fishing in rivers and every time there's a moment you know where i'm just standing there and water's rushing around me and everything's moving and changing and not to get too preachy on it but it's hard to not really be very very clear about the transience of all things when just this water's just (laughs) rushing around you um Mm -hmm. so yeah definitely definitely with water and the ocean and, and all that so i don't know i guess a lot of places how about you sam so for me the sacred is connected i think with the experience of truth um I also like I like church for for its sacred spaces, and I think that the the services move me spiritually. And the part of the service that moves me the most is the uh, candle lighting, which is one of the reasons why I volunteered during COVID to uh, create the candle videos. But I think because there's something about the truth telling that uh, that goes on in that moment in the service. It's it's a moment when people feel that they can tell important 
truths and feel those truths held in community. And, you know, I, 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 I'm a teaching, teaching assistant this semester, uh, for a Harvard class. And I, I, um, had, a the professor watch one of my sessions and gave, she gave me some feedback at the end. And we got into a, a fascinating conversation about what, what good teaching looks like. And, and she said, you know, there's the, the, a really, really good seminar or really good discussion section is sacred space. And, and I was quite struck by that phrase because, because I'd only come across that phrase, sacred space, you know, in, in, in UU circles, I'd never come across it in my academic life before. And she's saying, yeah, you know, in a classroom Mm -hmm. when it's really, when it's, when it's really done well, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you're creating sacred space because it's about everyone kind of opening themselves up to the truth and sharing truth and, and, and sharing discovery, which is discovery of truth. And I, and that really, really resonated with me. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, 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 um. I, I guess for the same reason, I love just sort of UU gatherings or, or um, chalice circles or the, the, ver- the various things that we do at First Church that are that, that are about sharing and and being truthful with each other in a way that I find authentic and real and sacred. Mm. Yeah, nature. I love nature, but I, I I don't tend to find the sacred in nature. But I feel like I'm an I'm in a minority there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Sam. <laughs> I don't know. Did you have any other questions for us? Or Oh, yeah. Do you have any questions for us, Leslie? Yeah, thanks, Sam. <laughs> I could just ride on your tail, on your tails for that. Let's see. Well, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good question. I, I like asking questions. And um, I'm trying to think about, you know, is... I don't know. Is, do you have a wish for yourselves or your families in this coming year, or an aspiration for yourself, or something you need or would like more of in your life in the next coming time? One of my favorite services that we do is that that pyrotechnic service where we sort of let go of something from the previous year and. And then we write something that's our hope uh, for the coming, for the end. And I've been trying to figure out how we can do that in the new, with the COVID and the overflow. And I think we might not be able to do it this year, but, but it's, it's, um, but it's always been a really, really helpful thing to just think about the, you know, and I feel like in this time of year, we end up, after Christmas coming up to the new year, it's like all over the place. Um, but there is something to me, I find it really helpful. I pull it out of my wallet, the little kind of the guiding, the guiding intention mm. for the coming year. And I think it's to, you know, one of the things that I've been realizing and talking with my wife, who's very wise and, and with the staff who are very wise, we're talking about working and what it means to work in this new way of being. And, and in some ways the pandemic really brought out the, the worst in my work patterns because, you know, the stakes were so high and I was so worried about so many people and there was so much to do. And we were creating, creating all of these videos and just the people were suffering so much. And, and it ended up, you know, just, 
I'm kind of overwork by nature. You know, it's just kind of what I do. Like I have to work to keep boundaries and balance around time. And so I think for me, part of that, the well discipline and part of really looking at replenishing myself is, you know, I see so many of my colleagues just hitting the wall and, and, and burning out. And so I'm really intentional for myself about not doing that and, and really replenishing and, and really taking the time to, you know, both appreciate these moments of my children. I mean, my big guy is 14. Like, it's not a lot of time left. And it's certainly even less time left that he's going to listen to stuff I say. So <laughs> I think, you know, really, really appreciating this time and, and really taking the time with them. I have a colleague I really respect who had a just wonderful ministry, built all sorts of churches really wise guy. And I was talking to him in his later eighties and he said, I've never once wished I had gone to another meeting. I've never once wished looking back on my life that I had done more work, Mm. but I always wish that I had spent more time with my kids. Mm. Right. And it was a different moment. Granted, you know, I mean, he was, he was of a generation where it was really gender imbalanced, the parenting. And so, I mean, I think partly we were talking about how much he appreciates how involved I am, you know, but again, so I think if I'm looking at this coming year, I'm, I'm really, I'm really hoping to invest my time and intention and energy into replenishing and gearing up for the marathon of ministry and the marathon of COVID and the endemic nature of all that we're facing. I mean, we're not going to get to the other end in quite a clean sort of cut and dry way. So, so really taking care that I can keep doing this for a long, 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 long time and Mm. taking the time to, you know, really appreciate my, my children, especially Mm. in these last couple of years that I get to have them around. Hmm. Hmm. Well, we hope you're around for a long, long time too, Chris. So please yeah. take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't burn out. No, and That's I'm, an and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good. Like if any, and the funny part <laughs> is, the funny part is, I had a great conversation with um, Kathy Carpenter, who's also very wise, and she was mentioning um, on the way out of a Vesper service, she was saying that burnout can look lots of different ways. And that's one of the things for me is that, you know, like I don't get tired, you know, like I don't get, I mean, I do get tired, but for me, the, for me, the problematic thing is more like I create, I mean, Sam, Samuel knows this. I just keep coming up with more ideas. (laughs) (laughs) So my discipline is really finishing the stuff, you know, really this follow through and the taking the time to really complete things and, and asking, you know, asking really clearly with the team that I work so closely with, like, do we have the bandwidth to do this? And if not, really just holding on to it. Like the good ideas aren't going anywhere, but that's been part of our discipline and part of our exploration in this time. You know, we said at the beginning, it's a time of, you know, experimentation, implementation and reflection. It's like some stuff just takes a long time. Like these podcasts, it takes a long time for Sam to produce them. And, you know, and some stuff anyway, doesn't take quite as much time so anyway that's a long answer how about you sam well um i hope i have for myself 
over the next year or so is to learn how to actually live the life that I want to be living rather than just sort of preparing for it. Mm. I was struck by uh, I was struck by an expression that you used earlier, Leslie, which this may be a common phrase, but I hadn't heard it before and it struck me, which is which is that you work with people in your in your capacity as a social worker, you work with people to change their narratives. And a narrative I have about myself, a sort of deep-seated one, is that I'm always I'm always on the way to life. I'm always on the way to the thing I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I just need to prepare and, and the preparation takes time and it's training and it's so whether it's school or whether it's, you know, and it's like, eventually I'll get there and then I'll live. Right. But it's like, n- no, no, this is what life looks like. I'm already there. And I, and I, and I, and the, the goal should be to just be who I am as authentically now I know that sounds like a banality, but it's like that this came as a kind of revelation to me fairly recently. And I now I'm like, you know what? I should just do things I, I think are important and that I enjoy. Not with we're not with a view to what will that turn into five years from now, but with a view to no, I want to I want to be doing stuff now. Uh, and yeah. and that 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 matters to me is you know, there are there are relatively trivial examples like uh, you know, I I wanna I wanna improve improve my knowledge of languages. So it's like why wait? Why not just do it now? I've got a phone app. I've got the internet. I can, I can just, I can learn languages and it's fun. And, and, and I want to, and one of the reasons I, I decided to teach this semester was, was because, you know what, I'm maybe one day I'll be a professor. Maybe I won't, but I have this opportunity to teach some students now. So I'll just do it because that's, it's great, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but I want to find other things like that. I want to find other things that I can do that 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 feels satisfyingly like life itself rather than just being on the way to something that looks like life mm. if that makes any sense yeah and 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 Samuel are you enjoying teaching oh yeah immensely I, I enjoyed it very much it was it was what I exactly what I wanted it to be it was a great deal of work it ate up a lot of my time in a way that I didn't anticipate and I should have done <laughs> I had a lot of grading but uh it was a wonderful experience and I'm very glad very glad I did it even if I never teach again and I hope I will one day but even if I never teach again it will have been a wonderful thing yeah yeah it's great Thanks so much for coming. And yeah. thank you so much, Leslie. This was a great conversation. Yeah, it was really fascinating. Yeah, I enjoyed talking to you both, Samuel and Chris. Thanks for all that you do. Oh, and thanks for sharing with us. This was great. Uh, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again soon. Thanks, you, Boinsky. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea.